and the primary healer of our exiles is the God image inside of us. And it doesn't mean that we have to do it on our own and that we're all alone. What it means is that we have control and power over our healing, regardless of what our partner is doing or not doing. And that is so empowering because a lot of times the partners are, you know, dabbling here and there at recovery or still, you know, kind of gaslighting. And the beautiful news to partners is that we can still begin our healing regardless of what they're doing. Oh my goodness. Are you guys <laughs> right. in for a treat today? Holy moly. Holy moly. That yes. was fantastic. Yes, we have Jenna Remersma on the podcast today. And if you haven't already heard from the soundbite something that you love, hang tight. I promise. And I really feel like I can promise that you are going to get a lot out of this podcast today. I couldn't agree more. Friends, uh, if it's possible uh, to get into a quiet space to listen today's po- to today's podcast, I recommend that because you are going to have a private therapy session with the Jenna Reimersma, and she is a big deal. I'm sure hundreds of you have heard of her before, and uh, we're just so excited to have this experience with you all. So sit back, enjoy, and enjoy learning about the parts of you. Okay, friends, here we are just casually hanging out with the Jenna Remersma, who is probably one of the most profound people I've ever heard speak and teach and most certainly write on the subject that we call IFS. Um, IFS stands for Internal Family Systems, and um, you're going to learn a lot about that today. Jenna is a best-selling author. She's a speaker. She's a certified IFS therapist, which makes total sense here. Jenna is also a Harvard graduate and a seasoned clinical director whose groundbreaking IFS books have actually repeatedly topped Amazon's best-selling new release charts. Right. And Jenna is trained directly under the Dr. Richard Sorts, who is the creator of the IFS model for therapy. Uh, she, she is a level three certified IFS therapist and IFS clinical consultant, as well as an EMDR therapist and CSTAT and CMAT supervisor. Wow, that's a lot of hats. I'm excited to have Jenna joining us today to unpack the wonders of the IFS model. And it's so great to see you again, friend. Welcome to the podcast. It's so good to be with you both. I think most importantly, I'm I'm a friend of Chris and Jen. That's like my most important thing that we want to say. So <laughs> oh. it's good, good to be with Your you. Your checks again. in the mail. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Bribery coming your way. Right. So what's interesting? What's interesting about this entire thing is, you know, Chris and I, when we have a guest on here, we we generally will prepare with a script and kind of have a direction that we're going to go and. As we prepared just a moment ago to go over, Jenna's like, let's not do a script. Let's just, let's just chat. So 
I don't know what the official title of this this podcast will be, but um, for now, I'm calling it Casually Chatting with Jenna Reimersma. <laughs> I like it. We're just that cool. Welcome to the conversation, listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely welcome. So Jenna, tell us a little bit, maybe a little bit about yourself. We know the, the professional, you know, definition of who you are. Um, tell us a little bit about the other parts of who you are. Yeah, well, I think uh, maybe most resonantly with your audience, um, I am a betrayed partner. I've been married 30 years and went through discovery um, at about year 10. And so that is what initiated um, my introduction into this whole world of sex addiction and betrayal trauma and led me to become a therapist and, um, and internal family systems or IFS, which is the model that I've become so passionate about, um, changed everything for me. And we had been in therapy for a very long time. Um, But when we encountered IFS, it really made profound um, shifts that are continuing to this day. And um, I would not be who I am, and I probably would not still be married if it weren't for internal family systems. So it is a personal and a professional passion of mine. And the thing that I think I love the most about it is that it brings such a deep sense of compassion and clarity to all of our struggles, not just betrayal trauma struggles, but particularly those, and um, just brings the grace and healing and compassion of our faith journey um, into a really practical and applicable experience of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well said. Thank you. Do you, do you have children, Jenna? Uh, What parts of the country do you live in? A little bit. Yeah. So I'm located in Atlanta on unceded Cherokee land and I have two grown kiddos. My daughter is 25 and she lives in Pennsylvania and my son is 23 and he's here in Atlanta, also studying to become a therapist. So oh. I'm a proud mama. <laughs> I would be too. That's amazing. <laughs> Actually, I'm proud of my kids. All my kids that are listening to this, I have five. Um, I'm proud of you all, even though none of you are therapists. But that's okay. <laughs> uh, Jenna, tell us a little bit about what is IFS. Just you know, sort of in a nutshell, so we have a broad idea as to what exactly are we talking about today. Yeah, well, people tend to hear the phrase internal family systems, and they think we're talking about our family of origin, mom, dad, kids. And in reality, what it's referring to is the internal parts of ourselves that create what we can consider an inner family of of parts. And this fairly revolutionary approach was discovered by Dr. Richard Schwartz about 40 years ago, and it was... Uh, not something he expected to discover. He was working with clients and the typical ways of working with clients, which was to move against the parts of themselves that they were struggling with, like cutting or binge eating or suicidality. Um, it actually was making the problem worse. And he yeah, was getting just very stop it, right? Yeah, just stop just it. Stop it, it'll be fine. Yeah, That's right. Let's just stop the addiction or the cutting or the binge eating. And as we all know, that really doesn't get us very far. And so in uh, just a beautiful space of openness, he started asking 
his clients, like what was happening inside of them. And he universally got the same answer, which was they all had parts of themselves that were at war. One part wanted to cut and another part didn't. And those parts were at war. And what he discovered is that having many different parts of ourselves is actually normal. And um, he uh, d further discovered that we can get to know these parts of ourselves and they are all well-intentioned, even when they're stuck in some really unhelpful jobs. And when they feel like they're not so panicked and they don't have to take us over, they relax back and what comes forward, kind of like when the clouds separate and the sun comes out, the sun's always been there. We just didn't have access to it when the clouds were in front of it. Mm. Same thing with the parts and our core inner self. When the parts relax back, this universal core inner self would emerge. And that core inner self that I liken to the God image inside of us or the Imago Dei is really the image of God. And um, profoundly, it is a source of deep healing. And it is an essence that is unbroken and undamaged in every single human being. It actually holds the key to the healing of the parts of us that have gotten stuck in some really unhelpful ways of coping. And so what Dick really remarkably discovered is that the solution to literally all of our suffering is not to move against the parts of ourselves that are engaged in feelings and behavior that are upsetting to us, but actually to move toward them with curiosity and compassion to get to know and understand how they came to be stuck in these roles so that that core God image inside of us can help them unburden or release the burdens that they've taken on to be restored to their fundamentally positive selves. And so the idea behind IFS in a nutshell is we all have a core authentic self that is undamaged, unbroken, and holds the key to our healing and is the, uh, is the seat of our authentic connection to the divine. And then we all have many different parts that make up our unique personalities and our parts are all good. They're all designed to bring something wonderful into our systems. But as we go through life, our parts uh, encounter, we encounter negative things that happen. We all do. And our parts get burdens put on them that distort their original positive essence. And it's those burdens that that inner self or God image can help to heal and unburden and restore the harmony of our inner family system, hence the name internal family systems. Thank you, Jenna. I will never forget sitting in your, in one of your therapy sessions and in, in a group session and recognizing that one of my parts was mama bear mm -hmm. and, um, recognize it. Wow. I have tears just thinking about it right now. Just having compassion for that part that had protected myself, but more my kids, my daughters, and, and thanking her for the job that she had done and releasing her from that burden. It was revolutionary for me. And um, talk about a lift. Now, I'm probably getting ahead of the conversation a little bit, and our listeners are probably going, what are you talking about? But before we get into what the different parts are that, make, make, that are contained within us, do you want to talk about move toward first? 
Sure. Well, move toward is the name I've given my shorthand of the IFS model because what I've realized is that IFS is very simple in some ways. We all have a core self in many different parts and all of our parts are good and their burdens uh, can be healed by that core God image inside of us. But what we realize as we delve deeper into it is it's actually very complex and can get a bit confusing for people who are new to the model. And I realized we need a simple way that's easy to remember to help people who are newer to the model, uh, who want to access the beauty that it brings um, in a really quick and easy shorthand. So I've called this shorthand Move Toward, and it's just three simple words, notice, know, and need. And they kind of embody the essence or the heart of the model. And I call it move toward because what we typically do when we're suffering is we move against mm -hmm. the parts of ourselves or of other people that we don't like. And it turns out move against makes our suffering worse. If I try to move against the part of me that's trying to bring me comfort by eating the whole box of Oreos, um, it tends to feel really unappreciated, and it takes me over and eats the entire box, not just two or three. So move against tends to make our suffering worse. And the counterintuitive um, and very gospel-centered approach that IFS invites us into is moving toward with curiosity and compassion. And I think it's really noteworthy on the front end to say move toward does not mean anything goes. And it's particularly important to highlight that for betrayed partners because move toward does not mean that our partner's parts that have harmed us and violated boundaries and betrayed us, it doesn't mean those parts are okay or that we ought not have boundaries or that we shouldn't grieve uh, or that we need to embrace those parts. But what it means is the most effective way to help our parts to heal is to move toward them before we attempt to turn toward people whose parts have harmed us, because it's only from that core authentic self that we can accurately and wisely discern what the truth of our reality is. And it is only from that core Imago Dei, the core God image from which we can set and hold real and effective boundaries. That is that is beautiful. I, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about my recovery journey with Dan and the move against and the move toward often felt like they were simultaneous. <laughs> like I wanted to move towards this man who I loved and, and who I knew was a good person, but I so wanted to move against his actions and that part of them that had been um, portraying these actions that were not for us or for our marriage or protecting our marriage. Uh, is there how do we do that? How do we navigate that complexity of, of wanting to move toward two things at one time? Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful question. And I would say that um, and there's an important distinction. So move toward is what we want to do with our own parts. And we do that first before we can wisely turn toward our partner. And the reason I make that distinction is because the God image inside of us is the only part of us. The, it's our core essence that actually has the ability to move toward and turn toward. And what many betrayed partners find is that particularly in the height of the intensity of the pain of betrayal, 
there are many different parts that become burdened. There may be one part that is furious and horrified and throws out what it thinks are boundaries but are actually threats, like if you ever look at a laptop again, I'm leaving you. And then there's another part that's petrified of losing the attachment and the relationship that is like, hey, maybe if I, we just have more sex. Um, and then there's another part that is uh, critical of themselves for staying. How could you possibly, you know, want to be with somebody who would do this to you? And perhaps a fourth part that says, but what about the kids? And, and what about finances? And do you want your children to grow up in a broken home? Or do you want your children to grow up with a dad who's doing these things? And there's this, there's this chorus of different parts who are all trying to keep us safe in totally different ways. You call it chorus. I call it crazy. Yeah. yeah. Because they're chaos. all going off at the same time. A little bit <laughs> of chaos right. there. And I think the reason that betrayed partners get in a pickle oftentimes, especially in early healing, is they're trying to wrap, we're trying to wrap our brains around this idea of boundaries. And we don't understand that it's, we have this inner orchestra conductor, the God image inside of us, and an, and an orchestra of all these different parts. And when the orchestra is playing accurately, it's a beautiful thing. But when the trombone leaps up and knocks the director off the stand and tries to take over, everything sounds like a cacophony. And then the violin jumps in and pushes the trombone over and it gets to be a bit of a mess. And our inner systems are the same way. It's completely normal to have billions of different parts that all want to do something different. And if we're trying to make a quote boundary decision, by picking one of those parts, we will invariably come back defeated. And usually when partners do that, they'll one part will be present in a therapy session, for example. Maybe it's the angry part who's like, this is my boundary. If he makes another, and I'm using gender typical pronouns, um, but it's equally applicable. Um, if, if he makes another text to a woman ever, I'm going to tell him to move out of the house. And then he makes another text to a woman and it's discovered and a different part shows up and is like, well, but oh, if gosh. he moves out of the house, how am I going to get the kids to school? Because we have 8 a.m. drop off and 9 a.m. drop off. So, and then the partner will invariably come back and say it quote, didn't work. And I'll say, well, actually we had a trombone and a violin trying to do the orchestra conductor's job, but really the only one who can conduct the orchestra is the God image inside of us. And so we can avoid all of this challenge and inner cacophony um, and feeling of craziness. A lot of betrayed partners report feeling like they're crazy. Like what is wrong with me? Because all of these parts are trying to protect and help in very polarized ways. It turns out that the greatest gift that we can offer is to move toward every one of these parts and witness them with the God image inside of us and allow the God image to lead these parts like the orchestra conductor because it is the God image who can make the right, first of all, the right assessment of what the reality of the external situation is, but also the one who can 
arrive at the wisest boundary for the internal system and not only select that boundary, but, and this is critical, follow through with it. Because boundaries that are stated but not followed through with when they're violated actually disempower us and they remove our voice. They train other people to ignore what we're saying. So it literally is better to say nothing at all than to let our parts throw out their opinions or their threats. Um, it It is disempowering to our whole system. And by allowing the orchestra conductor to listen to all the instruments and then make the decision on behalf of the inner team we can arrive at the decision that is right for our whole inner system. And it's a powerful difference. That is so powerful. I've got trauma system or trauma responses and attachment styles at war. And, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I'm hearing in different words that that are bringing more clarity. So thank you for that. Jenna, you have had me on the edge of my seat so many times when you start talking about the managers the manager parts and the firefighter parts. Could you share more about that with our listeners, please? Sure. Well, we don't all go walking around in this inner whole self energy all the time. It's always there inside of us. Like I said, just like the the sun is always in the sky, but it gets covered by the clouds. And um, what happens is and maybe I can even backtrack one step and start with our exile parts because they're the ones that really drive the whole system. Um, When we are hurt in life, and we're all hurt, uh, it could be what some people call capital T trauma, like abuse, neglect, abandonment, or it can be what some people call lowercase t trauma. For example, I grew up in the military. My dad was in the Army. We moved just about every year my whole life. And it turns out that was a trauma. I don't have a home. And um, and it took me until I was a therapist before I even realized that. But not having a home, it turns out, is a really big deal. Um, Even though I was loved and provided for and got to see the world, um, I had some pretty significant loss in attachment. So we all have different experiences, not all of which are people doing terrible things to us, but all of which burden our inner parts. And these typically young parts of us that get covered over with these burdens, um, they are called exiles because they typically hold all of the pain in our systems. So they hold our sadness, our sense of aloneness, our sense of shame or not being good enough of being rejected, of being, you know, isolated. And all of our inner system wants to keep that locked in the basement, wants to exile it because it's so painful. If you've ever gotten flooded by an exile part that feels shame or feels sadness or grief, it's excruciating. And everything in the system wants to keep that exiled or locked in the basement. And so as a result of the development of these exile parts, we develop manager parts and firefighters whose whole job is to protect us from feeling the pain of the exiles. But they do it in two opposite ways. The managers do it proactively. So they get burdened with jobs that look pretty good on the outside. They are people-pleasing, perfectionism, control, um, spiritualizing. The inner critic is a manager usually. And they try to run our lives 
and keep us focused on pleasing people and moving forward successfully so that our exiles don't ever get activated like shame or sadness or loneliness or rejection and and they are trying to prevent us from feeling the exile feelings proactively but because they're not our core authentic self they will eventually fail because they're acting out of burdened energy even though their intent is positive and when they fail so let's say my overworking manager that people pleases and wants to do everything perfectly it may go along for a while and please people and do things perfectly and then it's going to drop the ball on something and when it does my shame is going to flood and that shame is intolerable as any of our folks who struggle with acting out sexually know because shame is often the exile that catalyzes the sexual acting out firefighter to jump in it's in it's intolerable it's excruciating and so we have a reactive team that jump in they're called firefighters because their whole job is to put out the fire of the exile and pour water all over it and just like real life firefighters they could really give a rip if you have a gorgeous home and a beautiful grand piano and an oil painting if your house is on fire they're gonna knock your door down and spray water all over the place and basically ruin that grand piano and oil painting because the only thing they care about is putting out the fire oh my gosh can I just stop you there? <laughs> yes. That is such an incredible, I've never heard that before. That is such an incredible picture. And listeners, I hope you're grasping this because so many women will say, why would he go and do this thing again when he knows how much it hurts me? When he, we've talked about that lies and gaslighting are worse than the acting out. Why is he doing it again and again and again? And you just, you're just hitting that right now. So sorry for stopping you, but I just had a wow moment. Please keep going. No, I think it's so important. And there's a, there's a really delicate line there. Um, it doesn't make it okay. It just makes it make sense. Mm -hmm. Because who he truly is, that God image inside of him that's not a firefighter, probably very much does love you and the kids and very much does not want to hurt you or harm you in any way. And the firefighter part that has gotten stuck in this burdened behavior of acting out in some way with sexuality or alcohol or drugs or raging or whatever it might be, is not thinking about those things that the God image is thinking about. It's thinking about putting out the pain of the exile. Its only job is to put out the flame of that exile. And it is unrelated to the spouse. It doesn't make it okay in any way, shape, or form. It just makes it make sense. Yeah. The firefighter is there to put out the fire or the pain that the exile is in. And it is absolutely laser focused on the pain. And it does not think about anything else. And so the firefighters jump in to put out the pain and those are tip they're reactive so they come in once the pain is activated and those are things like sexual acting out alcoholism drug use cutting um purging um dissociating rage lying blame shifting all the things gaslighting all those burdened responses that the firefighters have to try to make that pain go away and the amazing thing about managers and firefighters, they look very different on the surface, 
very different. And many betrayed partners were like me, have a heavy set of managers. Like we're doing all the right things and we're pleasing people and we're teaching VBS and we've got it all going on. And our beloveds have a heavy pack of firefighters um, who are operating underground and on the surface it looks very different. They're both trying to do the same thing as avoid the pain of our exiles. And that's a real gift because it invites us into the place where the healing actually begins, which is inside of ourselves. I was that's just, it. yeah, I was just going to ask you about that because here I am imagining my exiles, my managers, my firefighters basically having like a house party. There's a bonfire going and managers are managing it. Firefighters are trying to put it out. Exiles are like dancing around it, right? So I've had this whole party. How in the world do I access my Imago Day? How do I access that while all these people are having a freaking party around me? That's, that's where I find a lot of my clients living life right now. They've got all these things going, going on and they can't find the person who's really that person inside of them, that, that Imago Dei that's going to really help solve and organize the chaos that they're in. Yeah, such an important question. And I would say for the deeper healing work, finding an internal family systems therapist is a great place to start. And we tend to be impossible to get in to see. Everyone very much wants to do this kind of work. So in lieu of that, um, if you'd like, I can walk you through, move toward. Yeah. Please. We could do it together a yeah. little bit, you know, kind of real time. How does that sound? Sounds great. Free therapy session. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's do it on Chris. I'm just kidding. No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love it. Excuse me, because people often, um, we are looking to the that person that we love to bring healing to our exiles. Yes. Yes. And they can um, later in recovery, not usually early in recovery, but they are the secondary meter of the needs of our exiles. And the primary mm. healer of our exiles is the God image inside of us. Amen. And it doesn't mean that we have to do it on our own and that we're all alone. What it means is that we have control and power over our healing regardless of what our partner is doing or not doing. And yeah. that is so empowering because a lot of times the partners are, you know, dabbling here and there at recovery or still, you know, yes. kind of gaslighting. And the beautiful news to partners is that we can still begin our healing regardless of what they're doing. This is exactly what people need to hear. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly Amen. what they need to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? Yeah. So um, what if we start with a manager? And okay. I'll just lead you through a really brief guided meditation. We can do it together and we can invite our listeners. Don't do this if you're driving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, let me invite you to, as you reflect on what we've been talking about, call to mind a part of you that you suspect may be stuck in a manager role. And by that... I mean, a part that's trying to prevent you from feeling lonely, sad, ashamed, rejected by doing proactive things, control, people pleasing, spiritualizing, um, criticizing you, the inner critic as a manager, a big one, 
Um, binge eating or restricting, usually restricting as the manager. Um, fantasy, daydreaming, checking out on Netflix, uh, those types of things. So just call to mind a manager part of you that you suspect is stuck in a role trying to prevent you from feeling pain. And when you have that part of you in mind, I'd invite you to really let your mind float back to the last time you can really remember it being super present. So when it was really kind of upfront and in charge. And as you let your mind float back to that moment in time, if it would feel comfortable to do so, I would invite you to let it be fully present, maybe even dialed up just a little bit and let this part know that it's really welcome in this moment in time. We would really like to get to know it. And then begin to notice how you are aware of this part of you. So this is step one of move toward. Just notice what's happening in your body Maybe there's thoughts going through your mind. Maybe you feel a, an urge to do something. Maybe you feel an emotion. Just begin to notice how this part of you shows up when it takes over. And as you're noticing this part of you, it's really normal to have other parts of you that don't like this part. So <laughs> if you start noticing that there's some critical voices that don't like it or want it to go away or that think what it's doing is terrible, um, just let those parts know that their perspective makes sense and they're welcome, but see if they would settle kind of settle into some seats of honor and let you just have a moment or two with this part. We're not going to let it take over, but we're going to see if we can get to know it so that we can help it maybe not have to work so hard in your life. And so as you stay with the noticing, continue to notice this manager part of you until you can begin to connect to your God image, just a little bit of maybe open-heartedness or curiosity or even compassion for this manager. And if you're able to connect to a little bit of open-heartedness or curiosity about it, see if you can kind of just breathe that curiosity or that compassion to this part. And then you're ready for step two, which is just ask this part of you what it wants you to know. And don't try to figure it out. Just wait and see if something comes to mind. If you'd like, you can ask this part of you what it's afraid would happen if it didn't take you over and make you do this thing.
And you might want to ask this part of you, when in my life did you first learn how to try to help me in this way? By doing this job for me. And just ask and see if any memories come to mind. And you might want to ask this part how old it thinks you are. And just wait and see if a number or a sense of something comes into your mind. And if a number comes up that's not your actual age, you might want to invite this part to come to a friendly distance, maybe in front of you and really turn and take you in and notice who you are and notice how old you are and just notice the you that's there witnessing its struggle, its job. For a lot of parts that can be very surprising because they're not at all aware of how old we actually are. Mm -hmm. It can take a little while to get adjusted because when our parts become burdened, they get frozen mm -hmm. at the stage and age of development that they were when they were first experienced that pain. And once we've found out a little bit about whatever this manager part wants us to know about it, we're ready for step three, which is need. And you can ask this manager part, is there anything that you need from me right now to feel a little more comforted, a little less activated? And just wait and see if anything comes to mind. And you may get a sense that this part might just like a break. It might like to be able to take a nap or have a snack or maybe even just a hug. It may be exhausted. And if so, in your inner experience, you can invite it to do that in your mind's eye. Or you may notice that this part needs something in your external world. It may need you to use your voice or ask for help or set a boundary. And if you get a sense of something like that, that feels like something you could offer, then you might want to set an intention with this part to let it know that you'll take care of it in that way. Mm -hmm. And notice how this part of you is feeling now. Now that you've gotten to know it with these three simple steps, noticing it with an open heart, asking it what it wants you to know, and finding out what it really needs, not what its behavior is going after, but what this part of you actually needs. And whenever that feels complete, you can gently bring your attention and your focus back to your external environment. Wow. Thank you. I had to mute several times because <laughs> the tears were flowing and uh, that was, oh gosh, I just want to go take a nap now myself. Thank you, Jenna. That was beautiful. 
Um, yeah. I have all these notes of all these things I just discovered in this small amount of time. Um, clearly, there are some people are, that are going to need to press pause and come back to this and go to their room and just sit down with this episode and and, and go through this experience that that we just did. You know, Jenna, I was, I'm thinking of where I was when I was first in my betrayal process and where I find a lot of women. Um, when, when you got to the need part, so I was going through this whole scenario. When you got to the need part, I, like several women, filled, filled in the blank with, I need him too. Blank. Hmm. And I know that's not what we're doing here because you, you, you asked your part, do you need a snack? <laughs> do you need a nap? I'm like, oh, well, those are options. I, and I realized as I was going through this exercise today that um, what I needed was to be comforted. And then you went on to say, um, okay, I see that. You didn't say these words, but this is what I got. Okay, I see that. Okay, friend, we're going to go take care of this. And immediately you said, notice what the response is in my, my, I mean, I don't know technically if my heart rate went down or, but I felt my shoulders relax a little bit. And I realized just acknowledging what I needed in that moment was so pivotal, pivotable, pivotable. What is it with my words? Oh, my word. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Pivotal. Um, That being said, I'm sure you've heard this in therapy as well. When someone gets to the I need, I need him to stop blank. I need him to do this. Um, Do you have any guidance on how to finish that sentence differently? Because in in today's session, you did give us a couple of options, which were incredibly helpful. Um, How do we find that, though, in that moment where we want to fill it in with he? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. And here's a really key differential, because when our parts carry burdens... If you want to think about our parts as as people, just imagine for a moment that, that, that they're actual people. And a burden is like a blanket that gets thrown over their head. So our parts really can't see out from under that blanket. So um, mm. our parts' perspective of the world becomes distorted by their trauma burden. And invariably, what... Uh, betrayal trauma can do, one of those blankets or multiple of those blankets when they get thrown over our parts, and not just betrayal trauma, trauma of all sorts, it orients uh, us to think that what we need is out there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we're looking for someone out there to stop doing something or start doing something or rescue us or comfort us or make our pain better. And that's a beautiful and a God-given need that is being filtered through a burden and placed somewhere that we don't have control over. And that's why this is beautiful, because when our parts that carry burdens take us over, and by the way, this is the same thing with our beloved's parts that carry burdens, they're looking for comfort or affirmation or a sense of being chosen, and instead of finding those in the places that they are available internally and in the partnered relationship, they're looking to something out there, pixels or um, chat or hookups or something out there is going to make it better. And what we know is that this is always well-intentioned 
and it always makes it worse. And that's true of our burdened parts as partners as well. They desperately want him, her, to stop doing the thing or start doing the thing, and then I won't feel alone. Then I won't feel ashamed. Then I won't feel broken. And the reality is that would be nice if they would. We have no power over it. But we do have the ability to bring the God image inside of us to the actual need of the part, which isn't to change what someone else's behavior is. The actual need of the part is deeper and more intimate and more spiritual than that. It is to be comforted, to be seen, Mm. to be heard. And it may be that a part who in their burdened state would be looking to him to quit the whatever when the god image inside of us asks what do you need from me to feel more protected to feel better cared for the part may see may say i need you to protect me i need you the god image to set and hold a healthy boundary so that he in his non doing the thing that I would like him to do does not continue to come in and hurt me in Mm. this way. Mm -hmm. Ultimately what I need is not for him to stop or start the thing. What I need is you Imago Dei to keep me safe Mm -hmm. and to protect me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that is a much deeper, um, much richer and much more empowered place to begin because our parts always mean well. They're always trying to make the pain better, and they 100% of the time make it worse. And that's true of our sweet parts that are looking to him and trying to control his behavior. And did you call your sponsor and, hey, I found this new book and I left it on your nightstand. And uh, by the way, I made you an appointment with the so-and-so therapist. And, you know, why can't you? And they really want to make our pain better. And in the long run, it makes it worse because they know that if they stopped, even if he did do the things because they were asking him to, if they stopped, he might stop too. And it's actually not making the pain better at all because that's an inside job. Yeah. As we were doing that exercise, the first time I did this with you a few years ago, it was my mama bear part that wanted to protect my children. This time it was, I'm just going to call her little Chrissy. So it was a six-year-old version of myself that was stopping mommy and daddy from fighting, getting in between um, my husband and I and, and saying, stop fighting, stop the noise, stop the racket, stop the words. And when I went to, so that was the notice part. She was a, a sweet little girl trying to bring peace into her surroundings. And when I went to the no part, um, she just wants to be a little girl. She just wants to be a child. She just wants to be unburdened by the adult job. And then when we went to the need part, she said she wanted to crawl into the, it's making me cry. She wants to crawl into God's lap and just sit there and watch things happen, knowing that he's taking care of it. So, yeah, beautiful. So she gets to be a little girl. So I'm curious if you could, uh, you, you said this earlier already in the podcast, but how do we then, okay, as I'm interpreting what you're saying, 
And we are all, Jen and I are always telling our clients, pursue your own healing. I had someone reach out last night and say, this is what's happening and I don't know what to do. Her parts were at war. And, and I uh, was able to say, what do you need? What needs to happen for you? You can't control him. So what do you need? So how do we tap into that Imago day? I'm translating that to mean that adult Chris shows up mm-hmm. and I make a logical prefrontal cortex decision. I get out of my limbic brain, maybe, but I don't know. How do we access, like Jen said, that Imago day and tell our parts to chill out? Yeah. Uh, notice no need is how we tap into the Imago day. And what we are doing is actually creating an attachment repair between the little part that was trying to keep mom and dad from fighting and the experience of the Imago day inside being held by God, which by the way, is very different than the spiritualizing manager yes. saying <laughs> you should Get under the wings of God and feel perfect peace because if you're feeling fear, the perfect love casts out all fear. Notice that's a manager part using God language Mm. to try to avoid scary feelings. It's a completely different experience than the experience of the Imago Dei and crawling up into the Imago Dei's lap and knowing at a sensory level that the divine is holding and carrying us. And it is not in the prefrontal cortex. I would say it is in the heart. Yeah. It okay. is a heart opening experience. And um, notice no need is a shortcut. Um, it's a shorthand for the IFS model that brings us to the, the divine inside of us, which is a place that always carries the eight C qualities, calm, curious, connected, compassionate, creative, courageous, which is important for boundaries. Yeah. Um, uh, and then two that I can't ever remember off the top of my head. Um, but the eight C qualities are how we know that we have connected with some amount of that Imago Dei. And as Jen said so beautifully, there is a somatic release mm-hmm. that happens. Our parts feel seen and heard and they calm. Because when they are taking over, there's no one conducting the orchestra, and it creates more panic, more hysteria. It's like the Lord of the Flies. There's no adult present, and it gets really out of control very quickly. And we want to help our parts connect and attach to the God image inside of them so that we can, out of that overflow, be the healthy attachment figure for our children and also, hopefully, our partner who hopefully is also connecting to the God image to heal their parts that are stuck in these bad roles. That is so good. So beautifully said. I, my guess is that it's like a muscle, you know, it's something that you have to maybe do some light weight lifting initially. So maybe practicing this in less intense areas of our lives. Um, Maybe it's just with how I look at myself in the mirror, I'm going to do the notice, no need. Um, how I talk to myself, how I respond to the person on the other side of the phone over the text message, you know, implementing these things in small doses that aren't crisis 
related so that when a crisis does come, my, my neural pathways have a familiar route to go down and can maybe access that in the moment that I just went through when you went through this exercise. <laughs> yeah. and so, it's fantastic. the opposite of what we're trained to do, mm-hmm. what we do instinctively. And so it's, it, you're right. It takes time. We, we have to practice it. So people can come to my website, which is movetoward.com. And I have a lot of free resources, videos, guided meditations that you can follow me on Insight Timer, where I have betrayal trauma, move toward meditations and meditations for anxiety and all kind of things. Um, Or people can text Jenna to 33777 and we will send them all kinds of free resources to begin to put this into application in their lives. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. I do want to highlight as we wrap this up that Jenna has a new book. Uh, She's got an original book that I've read, and it's fantastic, called All Together You. And her new book is called All Together Us. Jenna, tell us real quick a little bit about that. And then in closing, if you have a word of encouragement, just to put a bow on this whole conversation for our listeners, that'd be lovely. Yes, of course. Well, All Together Us is a book about integrating internal family systems with a whole variety of topics, including sexuality, addiction, coupleship, parenting, um, Enneagram, polyvagal theory. Like it's, it's kind of the Bible of all things IFS. And um, it is written so that each chapter is a standalone, highly application focused um, piece. You can just take that little nugget out if you're interested in that one topic. And uh, it's part of my passion to make IFS accessible um, and easier to connect with and apply. And my encouragement to people who are hurting and are listening to us today is know that who you truly are at your core, the Imago Dei in you is good and all parts of you are good and all parts of you are truly welcome. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Jenna. This has been so enriching. And I I know I have uh, reached another level of healing with a part of me in this session. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Jenna, so much. Um, We just want to say thank you, listeners, for tuning in today and being a part of our podcast community. Your support is valuable, and we're here to serve you. And Jenna was here to serve you today. And remember that healing is not a journey, just a journey. It's a destination. Um, As we navigate the path of recovery and transformation together, know that you're never alone. Stay strong, stay hopeful, keep working toward your brighter, empowered future. And until next time, take good care and keep embracing your journey of healing. And your parts. And your parts. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast with your hosts, Chris Rocha and Jen Howie. We hope you've been helped and encouraged. If you value the content we shared today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps others find the show. Need personalized guidance? Please contact Chris or Jen for transformative coaching. This episode has been brought to you by HealingWithTheHowies.com, WatermarkCoach.com, and with the support of Pure Life Alliance Ministries.